With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and... Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today on China Corner Office, a podcast powered by SupChina, the New York-based news and information platform that helps the West read China between the lines. I'm Chris Marquis, a professor at the Cambridge University Judge Business School. And today's episode features a discussion with auto industry veteran Robert Yu, focused on the state of the China EV market. Robert has worked 30 plus years in the auto industry, He spent 20 years at Ford and was an executive director of GM China, and then most recently, head of manufacturing for EV pioneer NIO. Robert provides an insightful overview of the booming EV market in China, where there are over 450 officially registered companies that have sold about 3 million cars in 2021. And for comparison's sake, in the US, about 800,000 EVs are sold in 2021. One of the interesting features of the China EV market is how wide the price points are, and we discuss which market segments and makes are doing well these days. For instance, at the low end, SAIC, GM, and Wuling have partnered to produce a mini EV, which since 2020 has sold hundreds of thousands of units with a starting price of just over 4,000 US dollars. Another segment with tremendous potential is the mid-market, where NEO and Xpeng have no significant competitors worldwide, as much of the EV companies outside of China, like Tesla, produce higher-end offerings. These firms have just started to enter the EU market, and it is likely their influence will spread throughout the world. We also discussed auto manufacturing processes in China, from Tesla's Gigafactory in Shanghai to the unique manufacturing infrastructure at NIO, where Robert headed manufacturing. NIO is actually pioneering an outsourced manufacturing model like Apple does with its iPhones. You know, Apple designs its products, for instance, in California, and then outsources production, for instance, to Foxconn. NIO has partnered with Jianghuai Automotive Corporation, JAC, who has built an assembly plant for NIO in Hefei. We discuss the pros and cons of this outsourced model and its potential to spread to other automakers. Thanks so much for listening and please enjoy the show. Robert, welcome to China Corner Office. 
Uh, hi, Chris. It's great to be here. Great. Well, well, really excited to learn more about the EV market in China. Reading so much about the explosion of EV companies, you know, fast growth of EV car market. You know, it'd be great to just, you know, learn a little bit about this market. Can you describe the current position of the market, what the ecosystem's like? Uh, I'll be happy to, Chris. Um, the Chinese EV market, certainly, I think uh, everybody have heard a lot about in the last few years, very dynamic. The volume has grew uh, tremendously. I think uh, this past year, uh, the EV volume in China, the sales was a little bit over 3 million units. And that's compared to the U.S. at around 600,000 units, I believe. So, so, and it's growing basically triple digits really in the last uh, five years, you know, exceeding expectations even within, within China. And there are quite a few players in the Chinese market. Uh, the number of automakers specifically producing EVs, it's quite amazing. Uh, there, there are around 450 registered EV automakers and, uh, you know, I'm aware of over a hundred of them that's actually active. You know, wow. some sort of a, uh, a product. So it's very, very dynamic, and the uh, you know bestsellers uh, uh, changes year over year. Everybody uh, introducing new models literally very quickly, and I and I think that trend is certainly continuing. Wow, that's like 450 registered companies. That's absolutely amazing. Any sort of trends around that? I mean, I know China had a very active like e-bike industry with like, I think, hundreds of millions of e-bikes. You know, there's other automakers. I mean, who, who's actually the players that are getting into this market? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting uh, question. And certainly my knowledge is it's not going to be all encompassing, but uh, but you have uh, traditional automakers, of course, uh, globally, and certainly there are no shortage of startups in China. You heard of uh, uh, you may have heard of Neo, Xpeng, Li Auto. There are many others, but the traditional automakers, uh, pretty well any traditional automakers that's strong enough, if you will, technically and, and has the resources, are getting in there. And then there are really a tremendous number of startup. They're just people with ambitions, people with technology getting in. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the three I mentioned is a very typical one uh, and people know about because they IPO'd uh, in the United States. But there are quite a swath of um, uh, EV ent uh, entrants that are, uh, as an example, EV bike manufacturer. And they're pretty spread out throughout China. There's also a few battery makers that I'm aware of. Um, there are people that actually used to make motors. So it's actually a very broad uh, set of entrants uh, coming in and, and geographically quite diverse as well throughout China. Uh, yeah, inter very interesting, that, that diversity. Are, are there any hotspots? I know, you know, like Shenzhen, BYD was an early player there. You know, what, what are some of the other regions around Beijing or Shanghai or in the West somewhere? Well, I think the traditional major cities in China, such as Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, there's actually clusters of these uh, hotbeds for uh, innovative companies, startups. Currently, EV is certainly uh, growing very rapidly around, in, around those large cities. However, there are also other clusters more inland. There are several companies around Wuhan uh, I'm aware of. I heard there are companies in Xi'an. So the, these are central China cities. I wouldn't be surprised that there are actually quite a few around what we normally refer to as tier three cities. For example, I know a couple in Xuzhou, ah. China, and I know there are at least one 
near Nanchang. So it's actually surprisingly pretty spread out geographically, huh. right down to uh, tier three cities, at least tier three cities. Wow, that's, uh, that's surprising. Uh, well, I guess with so many of them, it makes sense that they are spread out a bit. You know, I, I was wondering, you know, you mentioned a number of market leaders like Neo, Xpeng. What can you say about like, is there like in some ways a top tier that, you know, those firms and maybe some other ones that people might not be familiar with? How, how would you think about sort of like who the real, real important EV companies to know about are? Right. Uh, certainly, there are various ways of looking at, if you like to say, tiers or segmentations. If we use North American or European market, so-called mature market, as a reflection and, and correlate to their segmentation, uh, Neo and Xpeng and Li, not just well-known IPO in the United States, but they're also essentially targeted toward the uh, premium segment. Mm. Or I should say they're more focused because they do have products that are slightly segmented. But these three companies are very visible and they target towards products that's around, let's say, 40,000 US to about 80,000 US. So in the US, there will be like upper segment or you can call them premium segment. Uh, within China, there's actually several other EV automakers that uh, certainly have the ambitions and have produced products in the same segment or higher. But China, actually, because of the volume, it is a 25 million to 30 million per year market. So with that volume, it's segmented more. So in addition to the three well-known, the Neo Xpeng, Li Auto, uh, for the premium market, there's quite a few others. That I'm sure there are more than what I actually know. And then there's really several tiers of automakers and you know, we're product focusing on different pricing segments below that. Got and that actually is a much bigger volume than most people realize. So you mentioned a, you know, a potential market of 24, 25. That, is that, that's the annual auto sales in China? That is the annual passenger vehicle. Oh, passenger vehicle. So if okay. you include a commercial vehicle, it will be over, uh, well over 30 million. So right now, I think we're focusing on the uh, passenger right. vehicle segment. So yes, in China, this past year is 25 million. Wow. They actually, re I think China actually reached around 20, I believe it's 29 million approximately uh, several years ago, you know, before before the economy got a little bit more challenging, the international uh, relationship. So yeah, very large markets. Uh, how many of those are EVs? I believe this past year, the retail market in China for EVs is a little over three million. Wow, it's it's around it's around fifteen percent of the market already. So so literally in about uh, three years, they they went from about like uh, two percent or something like that. You know, in the hundred low hundreds of thousands of uh, EVs uh, in about three to four years. Now they're over three million and around fifteen percent, fourteen fifteen percent of the passenger vehicle market. How does that compare to other major markets? Do you, do you have any idea like around you know, the US or EU? Do, 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 do you have those numbers off the top here? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I would not be able to re remember all the specific number, but I can give you sort of the range. Uh, US, as an example, last year sold around 600,000 in total, and it actually it's one of the highest growth year. So US essentially started selling EVs actually ahead. Right. So your, your word is actually other company other than Tesla that have put out EVs uh, before. So so if I use the roughly this past 10 years, you know, essentially the EV market went from hundreds type units to now 600,000 in about 10 years. 
in China, basically uh, there were probably EV products being introduced maybe as early as seven, eight years ago. There may be some earlier, but the ones I'm aware of, it's, it's maybe first started about seven years ago. So in about seven years in China, it grew from hundreds, if you will, to over three million. So you can see the growth rate is just, uh, uh, you know, it's it's rather incomparable when you look at it numbers strictly. Yeah, I'd like to be interested to hear a little bit more about the different segments. I mean, I know in the US, I mean, you know, Tesla is, you know, uh, really a premium, you know, sort of the price wise, very much a premium, at least it started out as a very premium uh, brand. Uh, I think even more expensive than some of the, you know, Neo and Xpeng that you mentioned, they're selling 40, 50,000 US. Uh, So in China, uh, you know, I know Tesla, you know, has opened this gigafactory in Shanghai is a big name, you know, where would you put Tesla and, and some of their Tesla's competitors in China? And then also interested to hear a little bit about the lower price. Is there, you know, a segment of, of cars lower price than Neo and Xpeng that are being sold? Uh, yes, you know, that, that really, it's a, it's a very interesting and, and salient point. Tesla in the U.S. is clearly premium and certainly it, it has a lot of cachet, a lot of brand recognition, not just technology, but pricing. In China, that segment, identical pricing exists. So for the income level of Chinese, that's actually even a higher segment if you actually look at uh, the buyer's income to the vehicle price. So if we call that premium, in China, because the volume, there are several tiers. Just to give you an example, I guess we can look at it this way. In China, the two highest volume vehicle EVs, it's actually not the Tesla segment, it's not the Neo segment, it's not the Xpeng segment. The top selling vehicle, it's actually uh, SGMW, sometimes called Wuling. Oh, okay. And that vehicle, EV, it's around $6,000 US, and it sells about 50,000 mm. units a month. So it's, it, 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 I, think, I think this last year, they sold around 400,000 units. And that's a six thousand to seven thousand dollar EV, wow. and I believe the second highest selling vehicle is the BYD Qing, ah. and that vehicle it's around twenty eight to thirty five thousand US approximately. Mm-hmm. So that actually it's essentially two uh, vehicle pricing segment below. Uh, certainly, the the Model Threes, the Model Ys of Tesla, and there's actually more segmentation going down. So if you look at uh, uh, China and you look at the uh, the top selling vehicle, you will see much more volume below the Tesla, the Neo ESA, the Model Y, that segment, you know. And so the example I'm giving you, the SGMW uh, Mini, 6,000 6, uh, US dollar equivalent. Wow. So you can see the pricing from about 100,000 US per vehicle literally go all the way down. And I'm actually aware there are EVs that's selling for about $6,000, uh, sorry, $4,000 wow. US. And, and, and there's lots of volume actually uh, between about 20, 25,000 US to about 35,000 US. That range, there's several models that sell all well over 100,000 units a year. Huh. So, so hopefully that gives you a, a feel of the segment and the volume in yes. China for EVs. Super interesting. I'm wondering, uh, you know, with all that 
diversity. I mean, is there any standardization on the plugging, you know, ways to plug in uh, the EV? I, I've, I've heard some in the US, you know, Ford was just introducing a truck. And I think, you know, there's issues where they can't plug into the Tesla because they don't want to pay, I guess, some licensing fees. And so, you know, maybe setting up their own infrastructures. How, how is that playing out in China as far as the charging infrastructure and, and sort of adaptability of the ways that cars charge themselves? Uh, yes, I think that is uh, that realistically is a um, uh, evolving standard. I think worldwide. However, in China, the the government uh, is is very active in setting the standard. So the Chinese government has already set a, a pretty specific standard for volume EVs. Um, uh, that particular so is essentially. Uh, probably greater than 90% of the electric charging poles or charging stations throughout China all have that standard. Okay. And, and most um, automakers, when they produce EVs, design EVs, they also use that standard. But there are various automakers who they want higher performance. They want their technology to be adopted. They believe their uh, technologies are more advantageous to other. And certainly Tesla is the best example. Tesla, they do have their super charging network and Tesla has their own standard that uh, mm-hmm. they would like as many people to adopt as possible. So, but in China, the different standard, it's, uh, it is still an issue, but it's lesser of an issue compared to, if you like, the United States and Europe. You know, over time, each continent has essentially sort of like you can say top one or two standards emerging. Well, in China, you clearly have the government standard emerging as the as the top. You know, Europe have uh, their own, but th- there's really almost no difficulties to find the charging pole where your plug will physically fit and allow you to charge. Certainly, in, I will say, tier one, tier two city, it's 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 pretty well almost there. Uh, tier three cities below is different, and you still see different automakers. Whoever was there, you know, they are the earlier versions. Yeah, really interesting. That's, um, you know, I guess doesn't surprise me, but but really, yeah, very, very interesting thing to think about sort of how that actually helps the Chinese uh, market grow. And, and, you know, for consumers, yeah. you know, if there's a lot of charging infrastructure, you know, it makes it a lot more easy decision. Is, is there any um, government subsidies or sort of benefits to consumers for buying EV? Uh, yes, uh, you know, certainly Chinese government with the, this whole EV industry, this market, they're actually quite active and proactive. Uh, so the Chinese government's heavily involved. And they certainly has put a lot of uh, incentive to help develop the industry, to develop the, the, uh, the market, the consumer acceptance, you know, setting standards and all of that. And they have uh, continued with incentive, although the incentives, pretty well all the consumer-based incentive are facing out. Mm. The government actually tried, at least I can remember two other times in this past five years, uh, turn off the incentive. They turned it off and then they turned it back on. Mm. Uh, but they are, uh, you know, currently seem to be uh, very committed and the uh, incentive is facing out. Uh, there, there are several different incentives and there are still some provincial incentive, but largely the incentive will be phased out in the next couple of years. Okay. The producer incentive actually has already evolved into somewhat of a mirror-based and uh, long-term planning type. It's, it's, it's not really you know, available to anybody that wishes it anymore. So, so that is uh, facing out as well. That one I do not 
uh, know the uh, the timing, but I know the the uh, classification, the the measurement to give producer side incentive. It's much more stringent. They're more orderly, and uh, mm. and that is facing down as well. Great. Would like to learn a little bit now about your role at Neo. You know, I know you were relatively early in the company's history, the head of manufacturing, which was done in a really unique way in the auto industry. Can you describe your role at Neo a bit and what their approach to manufacturing was, or is? Uh, yes, I, I yes, I'm I uh, I was the head of uh, manufacturing uh, strategic manufacturing program. Uh, we internally referred to as the campus. Uh, program. Uh, so I was responsible for NEO's in setting up NEO's internal manufacturing. And that is because NEO entered the market uh, leveraging the strategy of outsourced assembly of its vehicles. In fact, NEO currently, all the products still come out of their uh, partnership program with Jianghuai Automotive, uh, also known as JAC. So NEO does not manufacture its own products. It does pretty well everything else, but the manufacturing, engineering, the, um, the uh, facility and all that is actually entrusted to uh, its, its partner. And that model is somewhat similar to Apple iPhone or iPad or mm-hmm. Apple laptop, if you will. Uh, Apple uh, pretty well does not produce most of its products, actually, right. they are produced by um, various companies. You know, typically people hear about uh, Foxconn Electronics. So right. Neo used that model. So it's a light asset model, and it uh, leverages partners with more um, manufacturing expertise to themselves. And you know, I think it was a good way to start. And I was responsible to design, develop, structure, organize Neo's own manufacturing, which is now underway. Okay, got it. That's really interesting. I mean, obviously, I've heard about Apple's work in the supply chain, which is really innovative. But I don't know of many or any other car companies that do this. And it seems that like car manufacturers, sort of factories are sort of much more specialized than and sort of specific to this to the type of car than maybe a cell phone or something like that. Can, can you say a little bit more about like maybe how widespread this is in the industry and like how they came up with or how they found their first partner to do this? Certainly. Actually, it is quite rare in the automotive industry to have a different company assemble or produce your product. And you're absolutely right. You know, cars or automotive products generally have a lot of complexity and there's a lot of not just the traditional precision, there's, there's uh, fit and finishes, there are, there are products that you, know, you actually have to, to sort of feel it and look at it. So it may not be as precise as an electronic product, but actually it has many, many quality implications and technology mm-hmm. implications that it, therefore, and the parts sometimes are very expensive and large, so it, it, it's very, very rare. But it's actually uh, not something that only happened recently. Magna, for example, has produced vehicle in Austria for Mercedes, BMW, Chrysler. Wow. Probably as early as about 25 years ago, the grass plant, actually. I think roughly that's when it started. So it's few, it's rare, but it's, it, it has been in existence. Uh, in the long run, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's generally not the method that most strategic automaker will go under. There are just a lot of uh, things that need to be controlled. And as you introduce new product, there are just fixed investment that you cannot avoid and continue to have this done by another company. It's, it's questionable what you get and what you give. So I think most automakers will continue on using that model. Although I will see, I think, maybe more startups and certainly in the EV arena, having outside company manufacture the vehicle, I think we will see more of that. That makes a lot of sense. As you get started, you know, maybe it's actually, you know, you don't have, to have the capital cost or even the expertise. I mean, if there's companies that have this expertise already, you know, it's actually a real simple way to ramp up your production a, a lot easier. Right, right. And also, if, if there are products that's, uh, that is, you know, go through changes a little bit more frequently or lesser volume, it actually does make sense in, in, in certain business cases. So this, uh, you mentioned this JAC company, um, is this, so are they working with other automakers as well or other companies in China pursuing this same strategy? Uh, yes, JAC actually has a, uh, a partnership with uh, Mercedes. Oh. My apologies. I think it's actually uh, Volkswagen. My, my apologies. So JAC on its own uh, actually has another specifically uh, EV uh, joint venture uh, going on. Uh, the most recently, I I heard that they're talking about maybe changing the uh, the ownership structure a little bit. But it's a it's an ongoing program. So uh, and JAC has actually done some other program for local car companies too. So it's a company that has a little bit of experience in that, and they were open to partnership with Neo as an example. But they certainly it's not excluding pursuing this type of model, and certainly the partnership structure is something they seem to be um, uh, open to. And, and they are quite competitive in general, you know, on a cost value basis as an automaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and these, you, know, you mentioned about 450 registered auto companies, maybe, you know, 150 or so, I think you said active. I mean, so are those companies like, uh, I'm not sure if you have a sense, like how many of those are actually trying to build their own factories and facilities versus do some sort of outsourcing model like this? Uh, so it's difficult to talk about the numbers. I, I can um, what I can describe is that the one that I came across and have some knowledge, uh, most of them are building their own plants. Okay. I'm actually only aware of few that is actually going toward the contract build model. And even out of that, uh, just to give you an example, I mean, Xpeng started that way as well, but 
they literally started to uh, think about their own plan and their own operation uh, very, very shortly after they started mm. kicking off the program. For example, early days, they, they had their products produced by Haima, um, which is a car company on the island of Hainan. But they very, very early on started to, um, to uh, plan out their own manufacturing facility. I think they're actually building their second one already. So, so I know some that's pursuing the outside construction model. I, I, I'm aware of a couple mm-hmm. of EV makers in North America that's doing the same. Uh, but I think uh, in general, they're a smaller portion compared to automakers uh, pursuing their own manufacturing operations. Interesting. Wow. One of the things I, 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 another sort of topic that I'm very interested to talk to you about is, you know, the, these companies have been very successful within China. And I've read that, you know, some of them are going are to potentially start, you know, entering the European market, like Norway, for instance, I just read that, you know, a huge percentage of their of their car sales are EVs these days. Obviously, Nor- Norway is not a very large company, so I don't think the overall numbers are, are too huge. However, uh, I'm wondering about, like, I, I think I read that, that some Chinese companies are going to enter Norway. Well, what's your sense of how the Chinese companies are going to start expanding to other markets like, the Europe, like Europe or the U.S.? Um, I think that's certainly, um, it's just a matter of time. Uh, several EV uh, automakers have already entered, as an example, you give uh, Norway. There's actually uh, several um, European nations. They at least uh, have begun the process pretty far down the road to allow various Chinese automakers to start exporting EVs to their country. I think Mm -hmm. other than Norway, I believe Finland and Denmark Mm -hmm. are they may have even already begun importing EVs into them. Uh, so it's wow. beyond Norway already. Neon and Xpeng, both of them are in at least two countries. They're both at least in Norway. I don't quite remember exactly what's the second market they're into. So they're already in there. But what's interesting is actually there's several other EV automakers in China that are already in various countries in Europe. Hmm. BYD, Shanghai Automotive, they actually, and GD through their different brands, they have right. they actually have um, exported EVs to several European countries. They're in smaller volume, they're lower profile. I think they are experimenting with the market a little bit, learning about it, and they're waiting for their product portfolio to gather up. So I think for most of the EV automakers, they would like to be as global as possible. Europe is a good place to start, but they have quietly started in several other countries other than Norway already. And some of the uh, Chinese automakers, such such as Chang'an Motors, uh, SAIC, which is Shanghai Automotive, mm-hmm. and they also have uh, exported products in some of the countries in Asia. So I think if the uh, the geopolitical tension and the trade concerns with U.S. you know did not happen. We probably would have seen a, a few brands of Chinese EVs in, in the United States as well. Huh, so interesting. And I'm curious, uh, well, I mean, them entering the European market, you know, as I think about, you know, my experience most of my life has been in the U.S. And so, you know, usually it's, you know, coming in with value-based products in sort of maybe a, sometimes a lower price segment. Is, is that 
where they're targeting in Europe? I mean, it seems like with the breadth of the products that exist in China, there's a variety of different positions they could take. My understanding, my observation is that in Europe, most of the Chinese EV makers are targeting, or at least starting with a higher segment as well, both Xpeng and NIO, uh, as well as uh, SAIC. They are putting out the higher price mm. product into Europe. And that makes sense. Uh, it is new technology. Uh, you know, the lower price vehicles, the technology tend to be uh, slightly less competitive. And I think for European markets, that makes sense. At the end of the day, volume is a big deal on how to make profit in the automotive market. In the U.S., if you look at the EV, it's evolving the same way. I think most of the Chinese automaker, if they come to the United States or North America, it will be somewhat similar. But I think mm-hmm. the longer-term ambition certainly is not limited to, to premium vehicles. I'm aware of several of the major EV automakers. They are really coming down one segment at a time, introducing new products at the lower price positioning points and larger volumes. So that is just happening. I think it's a, it's, it's a good strategy. So Europe will see more of that lower price product in some progressive mm-hmm. uh, manner. In Asia, it's a little different. Asia seems to be more encompassing in terms of the varieties of the price of the EVs. And certainly right now, that's a smaller market. And I think to some extent, there's some experimentation going on there. The U.S. is working actually very similar. It's a mature market. U.S. is actually very unique. But if you think about Tesla being the very clear success example, they actually mm-hmm. started with a high-end vehicle as well. And they're working themselves down, both in terms of size and price point. So I think that that all makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. Given your earlier comments, I would have maybe predicted they would try to enter with more of a value a value play in some ways, but but uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do in the the higher price segment too. I mean, given what you said about being sort of the advanced technology, that certainly makes sense. And I think that for the longest time, as you know, Korean companies expanded around the globe, Japanese companies obviously expanded around the globe earlier, you know, there weren't that many Chinese companies that were seen as brands that people really wanted. And this might actually be, you know, sort of a turning point in that of Chinese brands. So really interesting. Yeah, actually, Chris, I mean, I think that's a, that's a very keen observation. With the traditional products, the, the so-called ICE, internal combustion engine products, I think customers over time and knowing the product, growing up with the product, they know very well what the level of technology, the level of quality, the reliability, the durability. EV, it's essentially a new technology coming in. And so Chinese coming in as a automaker in this overall landscape, it's somewhat even-footed, even basis as comparisons for the actual product. So there isn't a lot of inherent disadvantage, I think. And I think the Chinese um, EV automakers, entrepreneurs, seize the, the opportunity to, to do this. I think there's still a, a, a perception difference. I, I think people will recognize Tesla has the edge and, and so on and so forth. Right. It's most advanced. But the gap is much, much smaller. And the, the value proposition, it's also closer and easier to manage. So I think that's something that, that I think you, you very keenly uh, observed. And I think that is going on. And, and they are taking advantage of this and it's sort of shortened the gap um, of brand recognition and, and brand building. Yeah, well, that's, that's really, I mean, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. I mean, I think that's, that's really going to be interesting as 
you know, not just the global, you know, sort of ecosystem of auto manufacturing changes, but then sort of the role of China as a leader in that, I mean, will be, you know, really interesting to observe. Yes. I'm interested as well. I mean, you mentioned the internal combustion engine cars. I know a lot of your background, actually, you had sort of decades of experience at both GM and Ford. And I'd like to hear a little bit about your experience there. I mean, I know some of it was it was in China. You know, one of the things that always surprised me in the time I spent in China was that the manufacturing in China, you know, the amazing factories in southern China that are producing electronics and, you know, the iPhones. I mean, some of the most state-of-the-art electronics are produced in China, but it seemed a real struggle to actually produce really high-quality cars, at least of the, of the Chinese brands. I, I might be off on that a bit, but it seems that, you know, they're taking this opportunity with the EVs in some ways to leapfrog the internal combustion engine technology, which from what I understand, it's actually, it's harder to make internal combustion engines and cars than EVs. And so it, you know, it makes a lot of sense to really forget about that, that older technology. Yes, certainly. Um, I have spent more than 30 years in this industry now, 20 years with Ford and a few years with GM. And, uh, and then the rest of the time I, I spent uh, managing automotive companies uh, in China. And I would say the first 20 years of my career, uh, things were relatively predictable and, the, and the, the competition is actually quite fierce and, and technology and quality uh, performance were moving quite fast. But in comparison, nothing like what has happened in the last 10 years. And, you know, I, sp I spent the past 10 years mostly in China, actually the last 15 years mostly in China. And I, I saw the, uh, the evolution and the revolution firsthand. And in China, it's, it's actually quite amazing because seeing things from basically zero to, to one, you know, started with a white piece of paper and then seeing things develop, you know, around the Shanghai or the Yanxi Delta area mm -hmm. in terms of EVs, you know, uh, very early days, I, I had the opportunity to see what's in Shanghai, in Nanjing, which is also a big area of EV automakers, mm. and then Guangzhou and Shenzhen, and then up in the north around the uh, Yellow River Delta, uh, the Bohai Delta, I guess sometimes it's called, which is Beijing, mm -hmm. Tianjin, those kind of area. I, I, I saw these little companies grow up in a very challenging environment, and then quite a few of them succeeded, or maybe at this stage you say, well, have they have survived the initial test, and they're now producing some pretty amazing, amazing products. So the growth in the capabilities is actually amazing, mm -hmm. both in terms of speed and quantity and the level of capability and capacity. So, you know, so in China, there isn't just one area. There's, as I mentioned, there are several areas with multiple EV makers, battery makers, you know, uh, electric motor manufacturer. And the internal combustion engine it's really, I guess I, it would be premature to say it's not a focus, but certainly the money, the expectations are all in EVs. And the mm -hmm. Chinese automotive industry, I think as a whole, has taken that leap into EVs. So internal combustion engine is something that, that really it's, it's a reality, it's still there, you know, for heavier loads and things like that, for currently lower costs. Uh, it's still there and it will continue to be there for, for quite a while. But 
the the percentage of EVs, the number of EVs in all segments, including commercial, including heavier capacity, that is already in, in some purposes, special purpose vehicle, commercial vehicle, I already see the beginning or you can say momentum starting. Uh, there are just a whole bunch of things going on. And a lot of the uh, barriers with internal combustion engines that 10 years ago, these Chinese automakers were working on, they're literally just keeping it run. They're no longer mm-hmm. putting their, the R&D dollars in there. They're no longer updating their manufacturing facility. They're putting their focus on the new technology. And certainly at this point, it looked like we're pretty well at the tipping point. It tipped in China. Now it's, right. is it ready to tip globally? I'd like to hear, you know, what's your sense of these incumbents, you know, that were, you know, maybe not international standard internal combustion engine makers are now, you know, sort of shifting to EVs and you have sort of new companies like Neo, Xpeng. How do you feel about the competition between those? I know in the U.S., you know, I think, you know, GM had a EV, I think it was in the 1980s, um, you know, but, but really, you know, there's studies sort of, of of when you have commitment to one technology, it's really, really hard to introduce some new disruptive techni- technology. So you need, you know, new entrants to come in like Tesla to really sort of shake things up. That's ha- happened in many industries. In China, do you think maybe the incumbents are going to be able to to make that shift in a more you know, I don't know, quick way, because maybe because the government has placed some emphasis on it, maybe, you know, they, yeah, I'm curious what your thoughts are, sort of incumbent versus newly founded firm. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting situation that remains to be played out. Uh, um, you know, my, 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 my personal opinion is that there are going to be winners and losers. I think I see certain traditional automakers in China, I see they were sort of left behind, but then in the last three years, they really put a lot of effort and they are catching up rapidly. Mm-hmm. In my mind, one of the best success example is actually BYD, but you know, most people mm-hmm. don't realize BYD have been building traditional vehicles. They still do right now, but they mm-hmm. were actually a completely a internal combustion engine manufacturer for over 10 years now. Uh, but of course, they have electronics and electrical DNA in their competency. So they were one of the earlier people that went inside, but they didn't put all sorts of money in initially. They sort of took a steady approach. So they're an example that a successful switch because of the DNA. But then you also look at Shanghai Automotive. SGMW is partially owned. I believe Shanghai Automotive owns around 30%, and I think GM owns around a little over 30%. Mm. Uh, they're roughly equal ownership. They're the two big uh, stakeholders of SGMW. Shanghai Motor, Wuling, I believe that's, uh, that, that's sort of the structure. That's a company that people kind of didn't give them a lot of chance. They stayed on company. They didn't seem to put a lot of effort in it. Uh, they're too slow. But Shanghai Automotive and SGMW, I think collectively, they sold around five or 600,000 EVs last year. Wow. Obviously, there's a big part, you know, 400,000 is that SGMW Mini, but Shanghai Automotive themselves sold sold around uh, 200,000 EVs. You don't hear about it. And they have a slew of new EVs coming out. So I think out of the traditional ICE automakers, basically, you got two groups. You got the state-owned group, uh, much more massive. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are slower. 
And I think there are going to be some of them that are certainly not going to do well because they clearly are too slow and they haven't built up sufficient technical competency to go in there. That doesn't mean that they won't survive, but they certainly have lost out on going, you know, getting onto first base. But there are several others, such as SAIC, such as Guangzhou Automotive. Mm-hmm. They have put a lot of effort, and Guangzhou Automotive sold, I think, around 200,000 EVs also last year. Wow. So there's a few SOE, state-owned enterprise automakers, large, a bit slow, but they, they sort of woke up. They're not getting onto first base. I will say a larger portion of them are struggling, the large ones. Mm. You know, FAW seems to be just having problem getting um, a good EV product introduced and so on and so forth. And then there's the other group of um, uh, traditional IC automakers that are privately owned. And out of those, I see some players that clearly they will succeed as well. They're just not getting as much limelight. And then there are others that it's questionable, uh, in my opinion, at least. But, you know, Grey Wall, they've been selling the, uh, and it's a joint venture with BMW, by the way, they've been mm-hmm. selling the Aura Cat. And I, I think, uh, and it's just recently introduced, I think it was only introduced about a year ago. And last time I looked at their stats, I think they already sold like almost 70,000 of those products. Uh, Geely, as an example, their brand is a little bit more fa- fractured, but I think mm-hmm. collectively, Geely sold about, around 300,000 EVs too. Wow. You know, they're under Link and company brand. They're under Zeker brands. They're under Geely brands. So I think there are going to be winners and losers. And, and uh, certainly the ability to actually develop the product, which means sufficient competency in the technology area, as well as actually marketing and selling a proper electric vehicle. Because at the end of the day, it's still the second largest purchase for most people. Mm-hmm. And to produce a product they want, and it's not simply because it runs on batteries or electricity, that there's still a, a art and science uh, to that. So I think basically, you know, in the next year or two, I think there's going to be some pretty major shakeouts. I, I think the 450, 460 companies, I, I think in the next year or two, it, it will probably be about one third of them that survives. And there's probably going to be, uh, I'm going to guess maybe maybe 30 active players, and then, you know, you go mm-hmm. through some additional attritions going going through that. But it's it, it doesn't have a very clear pattern of, you know, just categorizing if it's stay-owned, they won't succeed. And, right. You know, if it's large, traditional, they won't succeed. It, it really has a lot to do, I think, with the, with the leadership, with the ability to build competency, you know, still have that core competency of knowing what the customer wants and how to produce a product that's now both technologically and value-wise what the customer wants. Great. Well, yeah, I think with that, I mean, you gave sort of a really interesting sort of landscape view of what's going to likely happen with the next, um, you know, next few years. And so, you know, that was actually what my next question was. So, so I think, uh, yeah, I think we've, we've come to conclusion, uh, Robert, really so much appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today on China Corner Office. Oh, it's wonderful. I really appreciate, uh, uh, Chris, you inviting me to, to this discussion. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you.